right, well, good morning. Good morning, man. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, my name is Will. I am the teaching pastor at our campus in Anderson. I'm also the college minister across all of our campuses, and uh, I am just super glad to be here at Five Forts this morning. Uh, I know, like you guys, I love the Dozers, uh, and so you'll be glad to know Dustin will be back. All right, we'll switch right back. All right, and he'll be here next week. You don't have to worry about that. He and I actually switched places today, and so he's over in Anderson, and I am super excited excited uh, to be back here uh, at Five Forks with you guys. I do just want to give a quick shout out before we get rolling. Uh, if you have middle or high school students, or even you are a middle or high school student in this room right now, I just want to kind of make you aware of something that's really just started up. Uh, we're beginning small groups for middle and high school students uh, at this campus uh, that actually literally started last week. I know some of you probably know that. Right now, we have our students uh, with our student coordinator and some small group leaders um, at Starbucks right across the road. And so we would love for you to be connected with that. If you're a student, if you're a parent, we'd love to get you some more information on that. And so Brandon Shiley, our Five Fort student coordinator, will actually be out in the lobby uh, in between services, and he would love to give you for more information about that. We would uh, just love to get you connected and plugged in that way. Um, I work with our middle and high school students as well. And I'm just super excited about what God's doing uh, even here at Five Forks. And so I'm pumped about that. But as many of you guys know, we are walking through the gospel of Luke. Uh, we're really close now to Easter where we'll, where, where we'll kind of put an exclamation point uh, on our series that we've been walking through the life of Jesus. And this morning we will be in Luke chapter 15. Uh, so we'll be reading in Luke chapter 15. And believe it or not, we are actually gonna walk through the entire chapter verse by verse all today. So what that means is I need you guys to buckle up and I need you to listen fast, all right? Because we're gonna walk through a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, what we'll do is we'll kind of break it down bit by bit. We won't read it all at one time, but there are three parables in Luke chapter 15 that are really impossible to tell apart from each other. They have the same context and Jesus is speaking them or teaching them all at the same time. And so we're going to read them all together and see what this passage of scripture, these stories that Jesus told his original audience, what they have to say about who Jesus is. So begin with me in Luke chapter 15 and starting in verse one. Luke tells us that now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And we're gonna start, we're gonna stop there because the next three parables, the rest of the text that we'll read together are all in a response to this situation, all a response to this circumstance, to this statement by the Pharisees, by these religious leaders that they complained against Jesus because he received sinners, because he ate with tax collectors, with people that uh, their community and especially the religious people did not accept. The truth is, is that these religious leaders like to see themselves as separate from the people. They wanted to see themselves as separate from the sinners, as different from those who were marginalized in their society. And they hated the fact that Jesus brought people like that in, that Jesus sought out people like that, people who were sinners, 
people who were on the margins of society, those were exactly the kind of people that Jesus wanted to have dinner with. They were exactly the kind of people that Jesus drew in and the religious people of his day hated that and they hated Jesus for it. And so because they liked to keep themselves in separate, they hated the idea that someone, a teacher, someone who was popular and well-known and well-liked brought people like this in. And so our passage of scripture today is ultimately a gospel correction from Jesus. Jesus is trying to help these religious leaders to see that they have an entirely wrong view of who God is and what God's heart is towards sinners. So this morning, maybe for us in this room today, we're reading this passage of scripture for a gospel correction from Jesus. That by the scripture, we might see who God is and what his heart is towards sinners. And today I'm wondering if maybe God is trying to remind you of his heart for you, to remind you and to remind me that we are the sinners that Jesus is drawing near. So pick back up with me in verse four, the first of these three parables. Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then our second parable in verse eight, we'll read them together. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in these two stories, how do we see God's heart for sinners? When Jesus is trying to show us who, what his heart is towards sinners, uh, what do we see in this passage of scripture? First of all, we see that Jesus values you individually. That for each and every person in this room, that Jesus values you individually. I'm afraid that as Christians, we have no problem believing that Jesus loves the world. We've grown up in church, many of us. We, we live in South Carolina. We're constantly exposed to kind of this cultural Christianity. And so we know that Jesus loves the world. But I wonder if we have a difficult time that Jesus really loves you individually, that Jesus really loves me for who I am, that Jesus really loves you as an individual, just the way you are. See, Jesus tells these two parables together to demonstrate that God values the individual. God loves the one. He cares for and seeks the one. Notice how the owner of the sheep leaves the 99 for the one sheep. This woman, although she has plenty of other coins, she searches through the house diligently for one coin. Jesus teaches this parable in this way. He, he speaks specifically to this subject in this way because he wants his audience to know that he cares for the one, for the individual. In Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, God says, I knew you, before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. 
Psalm 139, 113. In that Psalm, David says this about God. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. See, God knows you as an individual before the foundation of the earth, before you were even born, God knew you as an individual. He formed you and created you. See, to God, you are not just one in a million or even more accurately, one in a few billion, right? You aren't just one of the crowd. And I'm not sure about you, but when I think about the greatness of creation, when I think about the speck that planet Earth is in the vastness of the universe, and then I even think more deeply about my small role as just one person among billions on our little speck that is the universe, I feel really small. And I feel like I might could get lost in all of that. And I think exactly what David tells us in Psalm 8 when he cries out to God, who is man, who am I that you are even mindful of me? And when I think about how great creation is, I think who am I that God would even know that I exist? But see what this passage of scripture tells us is that God does not only know that you exist, but that he knows you individually, that he knows you by name, and that he doesn't just know you. See, it would be enough that the amazing nature of who God is, it would be enough if God, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, just simply knew us. Just the fact that he knows who we are would be enough, but he doesn't just know you. God loves you individually. He values you individually. And in these parables, what we read is that there is a clear picture of why Jesus values us individually, why we matter to God. See, the owner of the sheep searches diligently for the lost sheep because that sheep is his. He owns that sheep. And see, God values you individually because you are his, because you belong to him. And what an amazing truth that no matter how you feel, no matter how lonely your days become, no matter how often and how many times people let you down, it doesn't matter if you go through your life feeling like there is no one there for you, no matter what, you always belong to someone. That if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you belong to God and he values you individually just for who you are because you are his. And this is what we need to remember. This is what we need to realize for each and every one of us, that we are the one. We are the one who has gone astray. We are the one who has rebelled against God. We are the coin that is lost. You and I, we're, we, we can have this, this easy way of being like the Pharisees and thinking that we're separate from sinners, but you and I, we are the one. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And we even hear echoes of this verse in the parable that Jesus tells about the lost sheep, that each of us are the lost sheep. We have all gone our own way. But the good news is that God loves lost sheep. You and I, we are the lost sheep, but the good news is that God loves lost sheep. And the rest of verse six reads, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, this verse in Isaiah, it's pointing forward to a time 
when our good shepherd would not only seek us out as lost sheep, but as he would tell us in John chapter 10, he laid down his life for his sheep that you and I were lost. Romans tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but that we have been made alive by the power of the gospel, that because our shepherd didn't just seek us until he found us, but looked for us and laid down his life for us, that you and I can be made right with God. You and I can be brought back into the fold. You and I can be whole again and find purpose and meaning in this life and be saved from our sins because our shepherd has laid down his life for us, his lost sheep. So when you feel that you are lost, maybe when you feel like things are falling apart, you can look to our good shepherd who loves you and who values you individually. So we see that God's heart for sinners is that he values you as an individual but secondly, we see that Jesus pursues you relentlessly. What is God's heart for sinners? How does God see and, and feel towards sinners? First of all, he values us individually, but secondly, he pursues you relentlessly. There's a phrase here in verses four and in verse eight that is repeated that man just jumps off the page to me. Jesus says that the owner of the sheep will look for the one until he finds it that the woman will look for the coin until she finds it. See, God is after your heart. God is after the heart of sinners. He is pursuing you with love and with grace, and he will not stop until he finds you. He will not stop until he finds you. Jesus is never giving up on you. He doesn't wanna leave you where you are. See, God is after you. He's not after the perfect cleaned up version of you. He's not after the person you hope you'll become eventually. God is after you. He's after your heart. He's after who you really are. See, God doesn't want your good works. He isn't looking for your performance. God wants you. He wants your heart. And, and this is how I know that. Here's how I can say that. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 16. David says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Instead, David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He says, a broken and contrite heart. That word contrite means repentant, right? It means that we would turn from our sins. He says, a broken and repentant heart, oh, heart, oh God, you will not despise. And then in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, we see, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, God is looking for your heart. He is pursuing your heart. He is concerned with what's on the inside. And maybe today you would be honest and you would admit that you've been playing a part. And today what you need to do is to quit playing a game, quit pretending like things are okay and give God your heart. Maybe today you just need to be open and vulnerable with yourself and for God, maybe even for the first time. And just admit that you do not have it all together, that you're messed up, that you're broken, that you are lost, that you're like the sheep that has gone astray. And maybe for the first time, you just need to admit open and vulnerable to God that you don't have it all together. The truth is, is that you can do that because God wants your heart. 
God is after who you really are, not this perfect version of you, not some made up picture that you have in your mind of who you might could be, but God wants you. He is after you. See, you are his and he wants you back in the fold. You are his and he wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to be home. And I know that it's possible that there are some of you in this room who maybe feel like you're too far gone, who feel like there's no way that God could love you for who you really are. Maybe the truth is, is that you've been vulnerable with people before. You've let people see the real you and you don't like how it turned out. You feel like maybe no one could really love you for who you really are. But see, your shepherd loves you relentlessly. Man, he is pursuing you relentlessly. He's not afraid of your mistakes. There is no mistake you could make. There's no sin you could commit that is too big for God that would scare God away. See, the irony is that we are afraid to be open and vulnerable with God, even though he already knows everything that we think. God knows everything that you have thought, felt, and said. God is not afraid of your mistakes. He's not afraid of your sin. In fact, Jesus knew every sin that you would ever commit. He knew every thought that you would ever have. He, he knew more than anyone else could ever know about who you are. And yet Jesus still decided to die on the cross for your sins. Jesus still believed that you were worth the cost. He knew how ugly you can be on the inside. He knew how broken you would be at your worst point and Jesus still loved you enough to give his own life so that you could be made right with God. Jesus already knew how far gone you would feel and he decided that you weren't too far gone for his love. He's pursuing you relentlessly. And the good news is that God is not only willing to look for you, but that he is able to find you. That's what we see in this passage of scripture. That God isn't only willing to seek you out and look for you and pursue your heart, but that God is capable, he is able to find you. And what I've done is I've, I've left the rest of our chapter because I think that what we'll see as we read the rest of chapter 15 together is we'll see some kind of highlight from what we have already talked about that we'll see that God in this story is pursuing us relentlessly, that he values us as individuals. But lastly, I wanna see, I want you to see that as we read the story of the prodigal son or the lost son, I want you to see that Jesus loves you continually, that Jesus loves you continually. Pick back up with me in verse 11. Luke says that Jesus then said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Just to take a, a quick stop, especially in this Jewish culture, what the son is saying when he comes to the father prematurely and says, I want my inheritance. And he says, I would rather you be dead. But since you will not hurry up and die, will you go ahead and give me what's coming to me so I can begin to kind of make my own life and have my own family and do my own thing? And so he's severing family ties when he does this. He's telling his father, I want to be separate from you. I would, it, it, it would be just as well with me if you were already dead. But 
Jesus tells us that in this story, the father does exactly what he asked. He divided his property between his sons and that not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed, to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything to eat. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And verse 20 says, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He has this rehearsed speech, right? It's the exact copy of what we just saw before. He's rehearsed the speech to say to his father, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So we see that Jesus loves you continually. That Jesus loves you continually. See, I'm afraid that many of us have believed the lie that God has his arms crossed to us. That, that if we came home, that if we came back to God, that he would have a grumpy look on his face that if we returned home, it would be returning to disappointment. Today, God is trying to show you that he will meet you at the end of the road with open arms, that the father is already waiting for you. See, in this parable, Jesus said that the father saw the son while he was still a long way off. The father was looking for him. He was waiting for him to come home. And today, your heavenly father is waiting for you to come to your senses to realize where your sin has brought you and to come home. See, the truth is, is that God does not love you any less because you're a sinner. In fact, you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus ate with. You're exactly the kind of person that Jesus died for. I don't know if you noticed this in this uh, parable, but the father doesn't even acknowledge anything the son says. I, like, I'm a son, like, I kind of get that, right? Like, do you ever start talking to your dad and he's like, what? Like, have you been talking for the last 10 minutes? I had no idea. Like, and that's kind of what happens here, right? The son has this whole rehearsed speech planned out. He says all these things and his father's like, that's great, son. I'm just glad you're home. He, he does, he's not bothered by the sin. The son has this idea that he's gonna have to be a hired servant in his home. And his dad like looks up from the recliner and is like, wait, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. Bring the robe, bring the ring, put shoes on his feet because my son was dead and now he's alive. The father doesn't even deal with all of the mistakes his son has made. His son has insulted him and turned away from him in this extreme way. And all the father feels is forgiveness. 
All the Father feels is joy. See, God is not repulsed by you because of your sin. He doesn't have his arms crossed at you. He isn't turning away from you because of your sin. No, his arms are wide open to you. If you would just come home to him today, all that he would feel is joy and forgiveness. And I don't know if you're like me, but for a long time, I, I kind of have struggled with this idea. If we really believe that God is holy, that God is separate from sin, then how can God draw me in as a sinner? How can God love me continually as a sinner? Now, I don't normally do this, but what I'm gonna do is actually read what's honestly a pretty lengthy quote. Um, it's gonna be up on the screen so that you can read it along with me. But there's a book called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, honestly, probably all of our teaching pastors have mentioned it at some point because we've all read it and it's made a huge impact on us. But this is a quote from that book uh, really through a Puritan writer named Thomas Goodwin. Uh, and it speaks, I think, perfectly to this subject. And I just couldn't say it any better than my, better myself. And so I wanted to read it to you. Thomas Goodwin says this. He says, Christ takes part with you and is so far from being provoked against you as all of his anger is turned upon your sin to ruin it. Yes, his pity is increased the more towards you, even as the heart of a father is to a child that has some loathsome disease. And as one is to a member of his own body that has leprosy, he hates not the member for it is his flesh, but the disease and that provokes him to pity the part affected the more. The greater the misery is, the more is the pity when the party is beloved. Now of all miseries, sin is the greatest. And he loving your persons and hating only the sin, his hatred shall all fall and that only upon the sin to free you of it by its ruin and destruction but his affection shall be the more drawn out to you. Do you wanna know what God's heart is for you? It's like a father whose son is ill. When your son gets sick as a father, you don't, you don't get mad at your son. You're not angry at him for being sick. You don't have your arms crossed at him and say, you're gonna have to figure out a way out of this on your own. No, as a father, as a mother, as a parent, your heart goes out towards your child in their sickness and you hate the sickness. You hate the disease. You wanna do anything you can to help your son or to help your daughter to get well, to be made right and be made whole again. And Thomas Goodwin says that's exactly God's heart towards us and our sin. God doesn't hate you because of your sin. He isn't angry with you because of your sin. He's not disappointed in you. God hates your sin and he has decided to ruin it, to end it. But if you would just come home, as the prodigal son does in this passage of scripture, if you would just come to your senses, your heavenly father is waiting at the end of the road with arms wide open, ready to put to death the sin that is putting you to death, ready to put to ruin the sin that is ruining your life. He is standing at the end of the road with arms wide open, ready to bring you back into the fold as a lost sheep, ready to bring you back into the family as a lost son. And so today, if you would just see that he is the one who can do something about your sin. He is the one who can make you well. He is the one who can forgive you of all unrighteousness. 
He is the one who can make you whole. And today he is calling you home. His arms and his heart are wide open to you. And he's standing at the end of the road, ready for you to come home. And as we close this morning, I do just want to remind you that there was another brother. We don't have time to read it today, but there was another brother at the end of this parable. And the truth is, is that Jesus inserted this brother into his story because he acts a whole lot like the Pharisees from the beginning of the text. Even though the father is full of forgiveness for his son, wants to bring him back into the family, his older brother is filled with resentment. He doesn't want to forgive his brother. He doesn't want to bring him back in. When he sees his brother in his rebellion and his sin, he is repulsed. He is turned away from it. And I wonder if some of us this morning, our next step is that we need to repent of having that heart, that heart towards sinners. That we need to be honest and say, we've had a critical spirit, a judgmental spirit to the people in our lives who don't look like us to the people in our lives who don't have it all together, for the people in our lives who don't live their way, their life according to the ways of God. Maybe today we need to repent of this critical spirit that the older brother had, that the Pharisees had even at the beginning of our story. Maybe that's the way that you need to respond today. Or maybe for you, you know that your response is that you need to come home this morning. Maybe you've been running from God. You know that you're the lost sheep. Maybe you've believed the lie that he's mad at you. Maybe you've believed the lie that he could never love you, that he would never take you back. And maybe for the first time this morning, you just need to be found. You just need to say yes to Jesus. Maybe this morning you need to come home. If that's you, my prayer is that as I just pray in, here in just a second, as I uh, begin to pray that you would just stand up and you would walk through the doors out into that lobby. A host team member will meet you out in the, at the information desk would love to have a conversation with you about how you can come home this morning. Maybe you need to text the word connect. Um, I, I'll be out there, Pastor Brian will be out there as well. We would love to have a conversation with you about how you can come home this morning because the Father's arms are wide open to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that no matter how far we might run, no matter how difficult the road has been, no matter how much we have squandered the inheritance that you won for us, God, we thank you that your arms and your heart are wide open to us, that you are a father full of love and grace and compassion for his children. And God, that no matter how far we've gone, we know we can't outrun your love. We can't outrun your grace. We might reject it, we might turn from it, but we can never outrun it. God, we know that you love us, that you have grace for us, that you cared so deeply for us, loved us so continually that you laid down your life for your sheep. And today, God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who needs to come home for the first time, who needs to run to the Father for the first time, I pray that that's exactly what they would do even now. In your name we pray, amen.